everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. So honored to have Mindahi Basida on the stream. Welcome. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Of course. I'm just going to share with people your very impressive biography. Mindahi is the director of the Original Nations Program at the Fountain and a member of the Mother Earth Delegation. He's an executive member of the Alliance Guardians of Mother Earth and a spokesperson of the recently created Grand Council of the Eagle and the Condor. He's also the general coordinator of the Otomi Regional Council of the High Lerma River Basin in Mexico that promotes the rights of nature and Mother Earth, as well as the rights to self-determination of original nations. As if that weren't enough, he holds a PhD in rural development from the Universidad Autónoma Metropolitana, and his scholarship addresses subjects such as the state and indigenous peoples, intercultural education, collective intellectual property rights, and traditional knowledge, sacred sites, saving Mother Earth, and ancestral wisdom. So, Thank you so much. Please share with us what your impressions were of COP. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, for the beginning, it was very difficult to arrive to COP26 because of uh, the restrictions that we face as original nations and peoples, leaders to be present at COP. Not every single uh, thing was in English, and many people don't even speak English, so they had to ask for help, support. And once there, uh, many other restrictions were given. You had to take every single day uh, these <laughs> COVID tests, the oh, antigens. Yeah. And, uh, and I, th- I think it's a good uh, move t- uh, to secure the health in, within the blue zone and the green zone and uh, even in independent uh, uh, gatherings and summits. But I can tell you that... Uh, I was surprised how many people were attending COP26 and and the delegations that arrived. There was a time that we couldn't go in very freely because, uh, you know, so many people around. But regarding COP26 and the results and the ongoing discussions, uh, we can say that uh, it has a history in in the past. I was in uh, in the Earth Summit in 1992 when this agreement was uh, signed. One of the three uh, binding documents were signed, and uh, at that time I, I was very hopeful and I was very uh, how can you say uh, very motivated that the governments came together because of what we were feeling already, that there was a problem with this anthropocentric way of thinking. But after 30 years, and after 26 COPs, we see that we have not advanced, and we should. And we have lost 
a lot of biodiversity, a lot of uh, cultures. So it means that we have lost biocultural heritage. And uh, as you know, there is a risk because of this climate crisis, climate change, there is an, also an, an ecological crisis that put at risk at least one million species. And, uh, and it's very well known that uh, we as original nations, uh, we want to always support anything that the governments want to, to carry out in, uh, for the care of life. But we are not taking into consideration enough. We are not a party, you know, we are just, uh, just like uh, people who is beginning to be understood because we have the ancestral wisdom, ancestral knowledge, how to relate to Mother Earth and nature. So this is why we are now very concerned because now we have seen that the financial institutions around COP, they are very powerful, mm. very powerful. You can see who are they in the, you know, they have pavilions in the blue zone and uh, they are like the, the bosses of many nation states. They orchestrate, orchestrates anything that is negotiated. So we know that fossil fuels are danger, but still they are investing in fossil fuels. They are carrying out uh, pipelines and they, they are not just uh, around the fossil fuels. They are still around the, what we call the genetic resources and traditional knowledge, and also the, now the rare earths. So what is going on? This is about dominion code. They want to, to continue doing business as usual. Can you believe it that uh, even around the carbon offsets, they want to, to put the, the whales in, in the, they want to commodify whales and elephants and everything. And, and it sounds rational in the business arena, but for yeah, us, right. for us, it's just, how can, can we say, it's just uh, a way of uh, uh, very bad things that, that when, when you treat nature just as, as, as a commodity, and for us, nature is sacred. Mm. And, and you can see when, uh, when they name like uh, natural resources, everything is natural resources, even humans. Right. How, how, how do they call uh, capital, human capital? Human capital, yeah. Yeah, and all of that, we know, you know, uh, even water is a resource in these in this, uh, negotiations. Right. And for, for us, Water is sacred. Yeah. It's not a resource. It's sacred. So we are very uh, disappointed, let's say, because uh, in, in writing, it sounds really good that it, it looks like we are advancing. But w when you don't meet what you, what you are uh, committed and it's what has happened in the past. So we don't have, uh, we are not sure that uh, it's going to happen. 
even if it's going to happen, we are late. We are late because all about climate change is about, about uh, mitigation and adaptation because it's coming. Right. And it's, re it's really coming. All of these disasters are coming. So let's prepare for that. But we as original nations and peoples, we are going to do the work we are doing. And it's not easy. It's a lot of work that we carry out. As many people know already, uh, scientists at, and the UN and other institutions are acknowledging this deep relationship that we have with nature. That's why uh, not, just, not just biodiversity, but cultural diversity. So biocultural heritage, 80% of this um, biocultural heritage is in indigenous territories. But let's not take it for granted. As I said, it's a lot of work. And it's a way of living. It's a way of relationship. It's in a, in a reciprocity way of of doing this, uh, and it's about ethical and moral issues that we, how we relate to what he was life. So, so now they are announcing these uh, big quantities, 100,000 million to, to put in the global south. And especially for indigenous peoples, they want to put 1,500 million euros or 1,700 million dollars to to give to the to the indigenous communities but you know they were they didn't ask us mm. to to whom they are going to to give this this uh, <laughs> this money to whom so uh, we really need to sit at the table in the decision taking processes because otherwise, this money could go to the, you know, to, to the pro-carbon offset right. uh, communities. <laughs> because they, there are, in the indigenous communities, there are pro-red. Pro so it, it is happening because, uh, you know, the greenwashing yes. is also there in, the, in our communities, and we are suffering for, uh, for that. So, so this is what I can tell you uh, in general. Uh, we can see that uh, our presence, even though with this, has grown. Because now the media is taking us seriously, not just in the, in the official venue, but also in the independent uh, uh, events. And I can tell you that uh, uh, TV channels, uh, journals, and newspapers are asking more and more uh, press conference uh, and asking to indigenous leaders what is going on in, in the communities and how we see these global uh, negotiations. Yeah. But uh, these negotiations are, are just uh, taking the same kind of paradigm as before. Because uh, some, even some uh, countries are saying, yes, we are going to do this, we are going to divest about fossil fuels. But, you know, it's just rhetorics. 
Right. It's, yeah, it's just uh, a way of saying we are going to do this and this and this other. And the 2030 uh, commitment, come on, we are going to arrive to 2030 and we are going to be worse than we are today. So in this case, we call upon civil society, communities, and people even in the financial world that they really are hearing us that we need to change our ways of doing, our ways of feeling, our ways of acting, because we need to act now. This is not for tomorrow. It's from, from now, today, because uh, tomorrow is too late. Mm. Uh, I, I, mean, I mean, it's a process. It's a process, but you need to act from now. So that's what, I, what we have been seeing and, and uh, and yes, uh, I found in many places more solidarity with uh, indigenous original nations, more solidarity uh, more than before, because uh, civil society is beginning to understand, global citizens are beginning to understand that we have a key, a key uh, element in, this, uh, in these discussions, because uh, you know, as original nations and peoples, we have always uh, uh, we have always brought these uh, ancestral uh, principles, wisdom. wisdom, and principles. You know, like reverence to Mother Earth, respect, responsibility, and we, it's what we are asking to the governments: be responsible, not just talk blah, 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 but be responsible about your acts and really meet your objectives, meet what you have written and what you have committed. Because, uh, you know, many people is going to, to suffer, is already suffering, and not just people, species, animals, territories, and, uh, and the sea, and the Father Sky, as we call Father Sky, is also suffering because of what we are putting in the atmosphere. So all of that is what we have seen in, in the COP26. And, uh, and I feel that there is more common ground for, for a big movement, especially with the young people, with children, they are beginning to understand is it's where we see change. But also uh, some governments are beginning to, to say, hey, we, we need to do something, really, because this, this is all, all about carbon uh, economies, and we cannot do that. We cannot commodify every, every single thing in, or every single being uh, around the world. Yes. And what was it that um, you hoped to accomplish at, uh, by attending COP? Uh, for the beginning, I was uh, intending to speak with the financial uh, sector, and we did. We spoke with some uh, bankers, we spoke with some uh, very influential people, even uh, from the IMF. But we, we saw something, but uh, some of them, they, they are open to listen. Some of them uh, still are hard to, you know, Wait. to... Yeah, to reach. 
And uh, or, or even uh, their positions were very rational, you know, very, very rational. And they don't understand about spirituality, they co the sacred connection with nature. And that's the reason they are just uh, in this addiction for, for growth. The GDP is all what they see. And we cannot think about that. We, we, we must think about the good living, about happiness for, for life, happiness in life. So they don't understand this. They just understand about growth. And yeah, can you talk more about greenwashing? Yes. See, uh, there is this carbon markets, you know, and they say that uh, now because of the in the 2007 it was born the with the proto, uh, Kyoto Protocol the clean develop, development mechanisms. How they they could. Um, really uh, raise consciousness about uh, creating some markets for uh, market solutions uh, around nature. How we can save the forest, how we can save rivers and all what is life, but in the market. So then they saw that uh, they had to create a mechanism for the carbon offsets. And, and uh, our, about that, it, it was born the red and the, later on the red cloths for reforestation and, and all what it means to, to bring uh, these uh, offsets to nature. But then uh, now they are, because th th there has been so many problems about those mechanisms. Uh, see, for example, some communities where this these uh, carbon offsets are, are being uh, applied. Well, some communities, they don't have access anymore to the uh, traditional ways of living because they are not allowed to go because of conservation, you know, they are not allowed uh, to, to, to hunt or to, to bring uh, medicinal plants. So they, uh, they are forbidden. In other cases, they cut the original uh, jungles or the original forest and they plant for, <laughs> for sequestration, uh, carbon sequestration purposes. So they eliminate uh, the diversity, biodiversity, and they put uh, uh, monoculture plantations of trees. And uh, in other places, uh, when there is money, it arrives very little money to the communities, and it arrives just to some of them, some of the members. So that creates division because in communities, you know, everything is, is communal. And uh, well, when they see that some people are receiving, it creates a lot of a lot of problems within the communities. Plus, there is something else with now the so-called nature-based solutions. You know what is happening? It's, it's all about land market. Because when, they, when they, so, some company puts money to, uh, you know, to continue emitting the di uh, car uh, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, they, they can pay for that and they can continue doing the same thing. So it's like 
there's a, a word for that. It's like um, in the indulgences. They, they buy indulgences. You know, when yeah. they pay. Indulgences. Yes. So they can continue like, doing the, the same scenes. Right. Like, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 So, so that's what is happening. But beyond that, um, people who is saying, oh, we are buying those uh, uh, carbon offices in, in that country, with, in that uh, territory, and at the end, it's about who owns, who owns the land. So that's very problematic because as many uh, original nations and peoples, we, we don't have collective collecting titles to, to the land, to the territory, then it's going to be more difficult for land demarcation. And this is what is causing that nature-based solutions are, are false solutions. This is exactly because they are creating more problems that they are solving. So we might be interested in, in, uh, in doing this, but in partnership, in the decision, in, in the, you know, in the decision-taking processes in the table. But if we are not taking into consideration just whatever they want to apply from one country to another or from the markets, and we are not taking into consideration, it, it, this is new colonialism. This is a green colon, colonialism, is what it is because it's a way of colonization and it's a way of domination, dominion. Now about the, the so-called nature-based solutions. This is about that. So these uh, millions of dollars, uh, they are, they are uh, you know, they are trying to, to bring to the communities or to the peoples, to whom uh, they are going to put this money. Maybe this this is going to create more problems that than solving the problems because right. because uh, you know we do it for love uh, for the care of life for love to Mother Earth but when you put a lot of money you know and there is no protocols commu community protocols then you create a, more problems that you solve problems. So it's not that we don't need financial aid, but we need to establish first biocultural protocols before taking any action towards uh, anything, any community or any conservation way of doing. Yeah, because then it also becomes about like charity, not about justice. Yeah, and you know, charity, what it creates charity? It creates, the, we are not begging. We are not begging. Right. We, we, right. Need, to, we need to be acknowledged. Right. But we, we are not begging for anything. We need to be uh, take, uh, taken into consideration as, as peoples, subjects of right, inherent rights, but we are not begging anything. Yeah, I'm saying without protocols, it just becomes like, it's like the whims of rich people. 
it becomes instead of being a question of justice and fairness, it becomes a question of charity, which it's it's not charity because these are debts that are owed. Yeah, and there's you know uh, some people have been talking about the ecological debt, but there is also a debt towards original nations. Yeah. You know, not, not just because of treaties signed in the past, but because of the, let's say, the service that we provide for the care of life. But uh, we are not talking about uh, just economic debt. We are talking about moral debt. There is a debt towards original nations and peoples. So how can we really create a new paradigm a paradigm that is based in ancestral wisdom, well, in taking us into consideration in the decision-taking processes, always, always, as partners, not just as depositaries of uh, what we have been doing for millennia, but we are going to continue doing that. At least, we are here and we are alive and we deserve respect. And we also respect recognition, acknowledgement of what uh, we are, who we are. Because uh, now the problem is not just our problem. And we are tired. We cannot do it ourselves because of uh, the mining companies are over our territories. We need support. We need support from every single sector, you know? We need really that support that can bring us peace and not just peace, can bring dignity and can bring joint responsibilities. Because this is not just my problem, it's your problem and it's everybody's problem. So we need to, this call to be very strong unification process. We don't want integration, we want unification. Because integration is, is homogenization and it's, it's very dangerous but it, because it kills. It kills a lot of uh, possibilities for uh, life systems. So we are seeing that uh, this COP26 has been uh, an exercise for many uh, just to continue, continue do, doing business as usual. But for us, it's an opportunity to be heard and to come together with other actors that really want to, to change this way of destruction. Because as we say, it's, it's a human problem. We have misbehaved in general. And uh, even in, in our, our communities, we are facing that problem because the young people, sometimes they are just leaving the ancestral wisdom of doing things. And now uh, there is also corruption. And corruption is number one. Because when you don't meet your responsibilities, there is corruption there. Just imagine uh, in, uh, in Paris, the Paris Agreement. It was a beautiful document, you know, to put no more than 1.5 centigrade uh, in the atmosphere. But now we are seeing that many 
governments did many many governments they didn't uh, most of the governments they didn't meet the objectives so that's corruption so we need to really struggle we need to to work hard against corruption at all levels from the community to the global uh, north to the global south to any single nation state so was cop it sounds like cop wasn't very inviting or um accommodating it didn't have things that weren't in english did it how did it receive like did it make an effort to hear indigenous representatives well we had a pavilion the indigenous pavilion and there were some uh, talks with some governments with some uh, contact points but in general uh, still very very loose you know they don't want to hear and even when uh, some people were trying to be heard the government's left the the place <laughs> you know right uh, and it's very sad it's very sad because that exactly represents not just uh, the deep ignorance but it represents the the power relations and it represents that they want to continue doing this uh, as you know not just the greenwashing but but also the they don't want to commit themselves to to really take into action what they are committed to so many many of the sessions that we had we didn't have even uh, translators you know uh, and many people spoke other languages so this is what is how we are here in, in at this time and uh, you know there's going to be other cops in the in the future but we are seeing that many people have been in in cops saying oh i have been in in three or four or six or seven cops what is the difference what is the difference that you brought to the to the cop and that's the reason we were we were marching with people in the young march and the, in the in the long march and many people around the world were marching because because they noticed that governments are not are not being enough um, committed to the to the target and uh, and i think uh, change has to come also from uh, from citizens global citizens in the marches we we saw children we saw young people we saw families we saw many many people around but we didn't see politicians i didn't see any politician i saw i just saw common people maybe they were around maybe but i never i i, I didn't see them because they were too busy and they don't want to hear what it is said in the streets you know they they don't they don't see they don't want to see so even uh, i was very concerned about uh, seeing some politicians uh, former presidents in the in the cop 
I, I was very concerned. And they are highly corrupted, some of them, I saw. Like who? <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, yeah, well, you know, like Felipe Calderón and others uh, from Mexico and, yeah. well, I cannot say Obama. About, Obama. Obama was there, but he, he had the, the, the thing in the United States and other places, you know, uh, but you can see former politicians still around. Why didn't they, didn't they do what they had to do in, when they had power? Now, what are they trying to do? We don't, we don't need uh, their presence in, uh, in where they don't belong to. So, so we need really politicians that are committed to, for the care of life. This is the time. There is no other time because uh, we are not talking about the future, as, uh, just about the future. We are talking about the past and mostly we are talking about the present because it's what we are living here. And this is in between. And this is what we are suffering. It's not just the future generations that are going to suffer from climate change. We are already suffering. The floods, the, the fires, we are suffering from every single, uh, even the, you know, the disease that we, respiratory disease that we have in, in many places, not just in the big cities, but in small communities because of fossil fuel, fuels extraction. So all of that, all of that. And what is the significance of the story of the eagle and the condor? Yes, uh, we have a very beautiful uh, prophecy because 500 years ago, a little bit more, when the colonization began in, in the Americas, uh, peoples were put apart, disappeared, destroyed, and many, and many borders were put. So the prophecies said and says that there was going to come the time when the peoples of the original peoples of the north and original peoples of the, the south would come together. So the eagle and the condor peoples would fly together. And that would be that would bring the new dawn and the new hope for life and the new action to be together and defend life. So that's what the eagle and the condor Grand Council is. It's composed by elders from the whole continent of the Americas. And uh, this is what we are bringing, the ancestral wisdom to be heard at any international uh, meeting arena, or to be heard by some politicians or some uh, NGOs or even the financial world if they want to hear. That's the reason the Eagle and the Condor Council was conformed to bring this knowledge, how to behave in front of life. And you mentioned young people. Um, can you share uh, about a little bit about your daughter and um, what she does in the world? Yes, uh, my daughter is Sigue Bastida, and uh, she's a climate activist. And uh, she... Uh, came to New York. She went to New York with us because we had a chance to, to bring the family. And at that time, there was a flood in my community. But I had a, a chance to, 
to work with the Center for Aesthetics, led by Karena Gore, Al Gore's daughter. It was a beautiful chance because uh, then uh, I was given uh, some classes at Unitological Seminary, uh, also helping some professors at uh, teachers, teachers' college at Columbia University. And then uh, she began uh, to study uh, later on at the high school. And she joined this wonderful uh, environmental club. So it's when in 2015, there was this big march and she brought more than 600 of, his, of her uh, classmates to the march. And later on, she was already organizing another march for more than 300 people 300,000 people. So she became uh, very involved because uh, she sees how uh, her future is, is uh, you know, is, doesn't seem good, doesn't seem good. And uh, so she, she began to organize themselves, herself with other young people, not just in the United States, but also around the world. And, uh, and uh, she joined the Fridays for Future uh, movement with Greta Thunberg. When Greta came to, the, to New York, she was already uh, an activist and she was the, the host for Greta. So later on, she was known as uh, the, the, Greta, the Greta Thunberg of the Americas. But she is quite, you know, she's quite... Uh, an activist, she's, she has this uh, philosophy based in original principles, original nations, peoples. So she has, she's been growing little by little and she was invited to many, many summits. And now you, you, you see that she spoke before the world leaders, not just uh, under the call of uh, Biden administration, but also in the COP26. Yeah. Yeah, we, I'd love to, you guys should come on together. That'd be amazing. Um, and what about your journey? Can you talk to, to us about how you became the um, activist you are today? Yes, uh, I can tell you that uh, ever since I was uh, young, uh, I was, uh, and we were struggling for self-determination for my peoples in central Mexico. And then the Zapatista movement arose in 1994 when the NAFTA took place. But we were struggling so much and, and then uh, some of my friends were already environmentalists. You know what is called environmentalist. But we, we bring this in, in our blood because we love Mother Earth. So I joined them in the, there was a, a group called, called RAG Red Ambiental Juvenil, the youth uh, network of Mexico. And I was one of the founders as well. So I was chosen to, to be in a gathering in Mexico City, and then I was chosen to, to go to Costa Rica for the prep of um, their summit. And then uh, we began to talk about all what uh, we have in uh, seeing as uh, problematics like the pollution of the rivers, pollution of the air, 
and uh, how uh, many species were disappearing, mammals, big mammals. So I brought to this movement the discussion about how uh, the knowledge or traditional knowledge or the, or the ancestral wisdom of original nations, it was very relevant for the conservation of life. So it was in 1992 when I, I was invited to represent the young uh, indigenous peoples in Rio, but also representing the Latin American youth. And uh, we wrote uh, the declarations that we wrote in Costa Rica because it was the Youth 92 movement. It's when I realized that it was not just my problem in, in my community, in my country. It was a worldwide problem. And it was the first time uh, the United Nations acknowledged the traditional knowledge to be very important for conservation of life. It was just a statement. But now we are seeing that even the monumental laws, they are very permissive, you know? And we need rights of nature, and we need Earth's jurisprudence, and we need also to the ecocide law to be acknowledged as a crime. Because uh, governments or companies need to be accountable for the crimes that they produce. So, so when I was uh, young, very young, I began to realize how these problems were growing more and more and more. And uh, I have a big example in, in where I, in the communities where I was born, the Lerma River begins, the longest river in Mexico. It's highly, highly polluted. So we saw that uh, we needed to study why it's so polluted. Because in the 70s, in 1970s, many industries arrived to Toluca Valley from all over the world. Nissan, Chrysler, eh, DuPont, Bayer, whatever. Name it. And they were powering their waters, industrial waters, and horrible waters into the river. So they killed the river. They killed the river. There was zero oxygen. We began to carry out the studies in 1999 with some uh, people from, uh, young people from uh, UBC, the University of British Columbia, and us that we were already uh, studying the river. And we saw that uh, the diversity was already gone. So, we began to study as well the wetlands. So from that study, we were able to present um, a very important uh, document uh, to protect the, the, wetland, the wetlands of the Lerma, of the Lerma area. So we, we had to go even to with the president at that time, the president uh, Vicente Fox, to present mm -hmm. our our demand, so it was approved because it's a federal uh, acknowledgement uh, and it's a federal uh, natural protected area now. 
but we struggle so much because the Cofemer, which is the the uh, regulatory body to to protect the uh, private companies, and, you know, agenda. They were against that because they were looking at this land, the wetlands, a place to, to build more factories. Mm. So at the end, we succeeded in 2001. But it was a long, long, long walk and uh, uh, very difficult. In any way, uh, I can tell you that for many years, even uh, from the 90s to the 20, 2020 and until now, we have not stopped about protecting life. But it's so difficult because there are so many interests, economic interests, that uh, they are just not taking into consideration uh, biodiversity or cultures. So that's what is, has happened. So I began to, 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 to work around that and to be very active. And it's what we have been doing for several years. And we are going to continue doing that, no doubt. Great. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to say? You've been so generous with your time, and I'd love to have you back on. Um, yeah, yeah. I think uh, one thing that uh, I want to express myself is that uh, we want that people get more involved because it's about honoring our yeah. ancestors, but also the future generations to come. And it's not just about what future we are delivering to the future generations. It's also about what future we are delivering to Mother Earth. We need to change this anthropocentric way of thinking to a more to a more ecocentric way of thinking, where mo where Mother Earth and all living beings they have the right also to thrive and live. Thank you. Thank you so much. And any place that you want to make sure people go to find out more or organizations to support or yes, uh, the fountain yes the find the fountain dot earth. Yeah, and uh, and the timekeepers.org. And uh, thank you so much for this beautiful opportunity because yeah. uh, people sometimes they, you know, uh, they know that there is a lot of problems, but uh, we know that we are the problem, but we also can be the solution. Right. And this is the time, and the time is now. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And come back on. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Thank you. And someone asked if there are any alliances with Bolivia that you can bring. I guess, is there any, are there any trends, like uh, any, any governments you're working with in particular? Yes. Uh, Bolivia. Bolivia is a wonderful country that we are working with. And uh, we are going to continue working with Bolivia and also if uh, Mexico, uh, my country, wants to also to work, and we really ask to the to the government that they they live in peace 
fossil fuels. We know that there is a transition, but we need really the uh, energetic transition that uh, we really need it because uh, life is at, is at a risk. And, uh, and also we are working with some uh, senators and some uh, deputies from other countries. And uh, there's beautiful people. Uh, you know, uh, we are working with Princess Esmeralda from Belgium. Uh, she's a great activist. I want to acknowledge we are working with Ecoside, Yoyo Met, and many others that are bringing uh, the definition of Ecoside to the international arena. And uh, I just want to thank every, everyone who is doing something for uh, the care of life and, yeah, this unification process. So governments are called. Uh, we need them to... Uh, to show and really to commit themselves if they want to work with us always welcome we also want to work with any government who wants to change their way of thinking the way of doing and the the way of acting so there's a, a good chance now and even with the financial world because what we think is that this is the time to for the institutions to, to change, to transcend. If any institution uh, is not taking care for life, they, they, they must change or, dis or disappear. They have to disappear because we cannot allow anymore to, that life is destroyed. We cannot. Because it's not just about us as humans. It was out, it's about flourishing diversity. Thank you so much. This is really amazing. Thank you, Katie. Have a great night and come, come back whenever you want. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for this beautiful time. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. To hear the rest of that discussion, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper, Nick Palm. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.